Since time is a continuum, after a trauma, life transforms into adapting to it. It's necessary to recognize that time will go on, regardless of whether you adapt. Contentment and happiness are achievable after an injury, and I believe with enough persistence, they are inevitable. I'm Jamie Mo Crazy, and you're listening to Life Gets Mo Crazy, where we'll hear from people who either been through a trauma or helped someone else through it. Listen and learn strategies you can implement in your life so when a metaphorical avalanche slides you down the mountain of life, you can climb an alternative peak with the best view. I'm here today with Lauren Taylor, who had an extensive brain injury four years ago at the mere age of 19. So we're going to hear about what happened to Lauren right now. Lauren, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Jamie, for giving a voice to survivors and other individuals affected. It sounds like you reached the pinnacle of success in your sport and in your recovery. Thank you so much. It was a very, very fun mountain that I was climbing originally when I was caught in my metaphorical avalanche, and I climbed an alternative peak, which is what we're going to talk about with you because you have been climbing some alternative peaks as well. So let's get started with what happened when your life changed. Okay, well, I sustained a severe traumatic brain injury. A couple years ago, I actually wrote an essay and articulated that existentially, my TBI shattered my life. My disdain for my circumstances has been incapable of negating my love for life. So leading up to my injury, I worked with most incredible show hunter horses. I was employed by the Ingram family of Nashville. I acquired that job after a 2018 apprenticeship a working student position with probably the most talented hunter-rider ever, Tori Colvin. Fast forward a year into my job with the Ingrams, we had just left our Florida winter base and we stopped in Aiken, South Carolina to compete for two weeks. On the last day we were in Aiken, one of the Ingram family's horses kicked me in the head so I'm told I dropped and my heart and respiration both momentarily stopped. But get this, the first humans to me after the accident were one, the chairman of cardiac surgery at a Memphis, Tennessee hospital, and two, a neurosurgeon spectator who's a friend of Dr. Wolf's. They stabilized me for transfer to the nearest level one trauma center. Wow, that's such an intense story. And like you mentioned, very, very fortunate that you had some medical professionals that came to you right away. It was such a rare and massive blessing. So now back to you just got hit in the head by the horse and the doctors arrived to start taking care of you. And then what happened? And then I was taken to the trauma center. I was 
unconscious for six weeks, and then I was minimally conscious for months, and it took me about three months before I realized I was hurt and I was in the hospital and what had happened to me. It took me that long to understand that it was 2019 at the time. I was convinced it was 2017. Wow. So then you had a tracheostomy. So let's discuss when you had that and what a tracheostomy is. Okay. So tracheostomies protect a person's airway. Long-term intubation through the mouth is medically impractical. Tracheostomies allow for the same support that endotracheal tubes provide without involving the mouth. An incision is made into the neck, so it's much cleaner and the risk of infection is minimized. I got it, but not until five days after my accident. Uh, So tubes were going through my mouth because I needed the help to breathe. So that makes people incredibly susceptible to pneumonia. My accident was on a Sunday, yet I didn't get the trach until Friday. I unfortunately and predictably contracted pneumonia in the interim. But what puzzles me is I had an MRI of my brain taken and a report was made evaluating the extent of the damage all within 24 hours of the accident. That was Monday. I don't understand why there was an additional lapse until Friday when the tracheostomy was finally put in. My survival was highly unlikely, so chances of me not needing continued respiratory support were practically obsolete. But whether I would have gotten pneumonia is trivial now, but I'm curious why it isn't protocol for someone in my situation to get the trick sooner. Yeah, there's so many things that I wonder why it's not the protocol for it to happen. I know that when I was in the coma, certain things happened. Like when I was on the feeding tube, my mom added fish oil and probiotics to my feeding tube. And scientifically, we know that it's good for your brain's recovery, but the doctors can't add it unless the family members request it because of the protocol. They can't suggest it. And then there's a question of, Well, how are the people, the family caregivers, supposed to know to ask that? You have no education or training when you just get thrown into having a brain injury and being the family caregiver for someone with a brain injury. So how are you supposed to know what to do? But that is a really valid question. Why don't you get what you need the day you need it instead of waiting so long? Exactly. I wish there was more upfront information available to families like you're trying to provide. Well, thank you. Doing things like interviewing you and subscribing to the podcast and gaining attention to Mo Crazy Strong and donations help help all this become possible. For more individuals like Lauren, you never expected this to happen to you. I know I never expected my brain injury to happen and it changes your life. Yeah, I was as safe as I could possibly be around horses. I never thought I would get hurt. I thought maybe at most I would 
fall off and break my arm or something. But never a brain injury and never have my life taken away and shattered like it was. And so what were the symptoms that developed? I had uh, gross motor impairments. It took me two and a half years before I could independently walk. I also had fine motor impairments, which originated with hemiparesis on my right side, which was horrible because I was right-handed. But on a positive note, I became ambidextrous. Finally, the last major category of symptoms, autonomic nervous system impairments, or dysfunction. So the autonomic nervous system controls what we aren't conscious of. Impairments to this system included dysphagia, medriasis, and also tachycardia. Dysphagia is swallowing impairments. So I actually corrected this by drinking too much water every day for 11 months. So I do not medically recommend that, but it was very efficacious in treating the dysphagia. Secondly, medriasis. My pupils were fixed and dilated, meaning they were huge and non-reactive to light. They shrunk over years following my injury. And finally, tachycardia. So my heart maintained a rate of over 100 beats per minute. So by month four, it decreased into the 90s, which is still fast, but no longer technically tachycardia. So why don't you tell me some key things that your equestrian background taught you, which proved useful in your recovery process? Most importantly, it taught me how to dedicate myself entirely to something. Successful recovery takes unbelievable persistence. Horses were my life for years, and my every thought revolved around them. Similarly, post-TBI, I innately understood how to dedicate every waking moment to my recovery. Persistence over many years optimizes a traumatic brain injury recovery. Rehab a full-time job. Secondly, riding requires extensive proprioception, meaning understanding where each part of my body is and what it's doing. That ability to isolate parts of my body proved to be useful. For example, when a therapist told me to relax my tense right arm, the tightness was caused by hypertonia. My tone transcended through both muscle spasticity when I moved and also rigidity, which occurs irrespective of movement. Riding also strengthened my weaker muscles, and especially my core, through repetition and time in the saddle. Cognitively, with riding, you must keep your own emotions in check so you can be receptive to the horse's demeanor, all while being conscientious of the environment. It's quite an exercise for anyone. Wow, well, you went through a lot. And one of the things, just listening to you talk, is you seem so motivated to do what it takes. 
to help in your recovery. So do you know what it was that made you decide to keep going against all odds? I had so much intrinsic motivation. Introspectively, I guess, discontent with where I was, and I still am unwilling to accept my disability. So that motivated me to work hard and keep going. And at four o'clock in the morning, I'd get up, make coffee, and start to work on my cognition because I was over the brain injury. And so are you still working on more recovery now? Oh, absolutely. I currently work out with my adaptive trainers three to four days a week, and I'm in physical and occupational therapy once a week. I also try to do vision exercises and syntonics or light therapy daily, but those don't always find their way into my schedule. At a minimum, I get to vision five days a week. I'm a strong believer that people can sleep once they're dead. As long as I have the opportunity to live and to recover, that's what I'll be doing. Wow. And so that's so true that you can always continue to recover and heal from your brain injury. When my older sister went to Georgetown Medical School, which is one of the top medical schools, she was taught that after two years, if the individual is over 26 years of age, the deficits are permanent because neuroplasticity only happens in the cortical stages of development. So the first two years of your life is the only time you can rewire your brain, which we know is completely not true. But that was the belief and the understanding. So now that we know that it's not true, we need to raise the awareness and change the protocol and change the narrative around brain injury because you can continue to recover way past a two-year recovery window. Absolutely. The treating physician who the workers' compensation caseworker selected made sure to tell me the nature of TPI recovery during our initial 2020 appointment. He informed me that TBI recovery had a maximum potential of two years, at which time I would inevitably, in his words, quote-unquote, plateau. I recall the caseworker being too giddy about the doctor's revelation for me to take it as gospel. I think businessmen created the heinous two-year TBI recovery fallacy because they're inclined to find a point of diminishing returns in every situation. That is, when something like an investment becomes less profitable. But when it comes to optimization, healthcare and industry are mutually exclusive phenomena, meaning you cannot optimize both simultaneously. It's interesting because you were explaining about your recovery and going to different therapy programs three days a week. I believe if you get more upfront opportunities to heal and recover, you can continue recovering. And many states and many insurances have caps. Most of them actually have caps. So a certain amount of therapy that you can receive before the insurance stops covering it. And one of the things is that right now it's the way our 
legislature works and things like that and the funding towards brain injury recovery, there's so little federal funding towards it because it's thought that you are expected to have permanent disabilities that are lifelong instead of being allowed the opportunity to continue healing until you recover and you do not have those lifelong disabilities. Yeah. The brain is the most fragile yet the most malleable organ in the body. And brain injury recovery never stops. And if they're given the opportunity, people will recover. I actually like to draw an analogy between TBI recovery and a motorboat. When healthcare professionals withdraw the fuel, so therapeutics, from a TBI recovery, of course the boat will decelerate. It's probably not going to sink, meaning its life won't end, but the ship isn't going to be as productive as it could be with additional fuel. Wow, I love that analogy. And speaking of additional fuel, is there anything else that was extremely instrumental over the course of your recovery process? I was fortunate that my mom and little brother Alex helped me successfully adapt to the situation and make the most out of my life. I don't know where I would be without both of them. That's amazing. For family caregivers to get thrown into that role and be able to just go on the fly and make decisions that help their survivors is such a true blessing. So one of the things that we have talked about whenever you're climbing an alternative peak, what brought you down to the bottom and having to climb again, it gives you a new perspective on life. So is there anything that your brain injury gave you a new perspective on? Sure. The summit of my mountain, my life, never seemed so glorious when I had never experienced the stark contrast of my mountain's base. So because you saw the base and, and you saw the struggles, it really helped broaden your view at the top. Absolutely. It made me appreciate what the top is more than I ever had before. So speaking about perspective, what are some points you want to make about what happens after a trauma? Yeah. So the TBI stripped me of the only capacity I once thought I wanted in my life. I'm still here, so it could have been worse. Since time is a continuum, after a trauma, life transforms into adapting to it. It's necessary to recognize that time will go on, regardless of whether you adapt. Contentment and happiness are achievable after an injury, and I believe with enough persistence, they are inevitable. That's a great thought process to have. I hope every listener takes that with them. It's inevitable that you will be able to regain your happiness and achievements with enough persistence. And if you give it patience, you will be able to create a life you love again after trauma. So now that we are reaching the end of our time, what would you leave the audience with? Like, What is the biggest gift you got from this traumatic brain injury? 
So with a brain injury, a 100% recovery is not likely. So the name of the game is lifelong deficit mitigation. Over 5 million Americans are disabled with a TBI. So those recoveries don't exist in a vacuum. I want to help some of them optimize their deficit mitigation so they can effectively reintegrate into society. Suffering is inversely related to success and recovery. There's significant sound reasoning for optimism and TBI recovery. Humans have such profound neuroplasticity, which has allowed me to say, challenge accepted, bring it on. If given the opportunity, the human brain will recover from almost anything. The caveat there is I cannot guarantee a time frame. It could be three years, three decades, or longer. I don't know. But I do know brain-injured people should persist in pushing the stimuli. Well, you just gave me goosebumps. I'm just so excited by what you just said. Because, yeah, bring it on. Everybody who listens to these podcasts has had traumas in their life or are listening about other people's traumas in their life. And the one thing that everyone has in common is they keep going. They keep climbing. They keep healing, keep recovering. Because regardless of everything else, every single person who is listening to this, you can continue recovering and healing yourself in whatever mode your body can do. Amen. Lauren, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And I am really excited to stay in touch and see where you go on this brain injury journey. Same to you, Jamie. You have touched so many people with what you're doing and giving a voice to people who wouldn't otherwise have a voice on your podcast. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning in to listen to Life Gets Mo Crazy. I hope you learned some new ways to climb an alternative peak after an unexpected trauma by listening to this episode. If you loved it, which I really hope you did, please subscribe to the podcast and share with your family and friends. If you would like to follow my Mo Crazy life, well, you can find me on LinkedIn, Instagram, or my Facebook accounts at Jamie Mo Crazy or hashtag Mo Crazy Strong. So stay tuned for our next episode. Each episode is the last Friday of each month. And in every episode, you will learn something special and something new on how to climb an alternative peak. So thanks again for tuning in and go have a mo crazy life until we talk again.